0: Everyone tonight? Great. Great. Yeah, Great. Yeah, good, good. Good crowd tonight, man. It's uh, it's good to see everybody. Um, you know, we all have a good summer? Yeah. Yeah? Well, good, good. Um, it feels like it went too quick, uh, but there's nothing we can do about that. Huh? I didn't know, it was over. didn't know it was over. That's true. We're hitting it this week again. We had a false, uh, well, false. False, false, false. Is that what it was? All right. Um, Let's have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to explain kind of how we're going to do things this, uh, I guess, this semester, whatever you want to call it. But uh, let's, uh, first off, did everyone get a, um, there's two pages tonight. Everyone get both of them there? Okay, very good. You missing one? It's a single, well, hold on. on. Okay, hold on. The lesson is a single sheet front and back. If you want a syllabus, those are also here. (laughs) Those are extra. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer then tonight, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get started. Let's bow our heads here. Father God, tonight as we come together in this place, we're grateful and thankful for the opportunity uh, to be back together uh, to begin this, uh, this course, this, this uh, series of lessons, um, that we can dive deeper into the Word of God here, that we could uh, build up our faith, and uh, Father we could be um, just... Uh, uh, more <clears throat> equipped and ready to make a difference in this world around us. We pray for opportunities and uh, you know, uh, boldness and, and courage on our, our part to um, be able to walk through those doors that will open up for us and uh, bring the gospel to people who desperately need it. We will pray for the congregations that are represented here this evening. Um, Father, we pray that these classes will strengthen us here and, and that we can take these things back home and uh, strengthen our congregations and uh, strengthen the people around us with it. Uh, we pray for wisdom uh, whenever we open up your word, Father, that we not just see the information that's on the page, but how to use it and how to apply it and how to take it into a world that's so lost and dying and in desperate need of some good news today. Uh, Father, bless our time here this evening. Thank you for what you've done for us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we have, uh, we've spent the last two classes. Um, diving through some Old Testament principles there, which I get excited about. I think, um, I think those topics are not talked about enough today. Uh, they're super relevant. Um, I mean, you know, the whole Bible's relevant. There's no part of it that doesn't apply to us today, uh, that can't be used in the church today, that can't be used to reach the lost today. And so sometimes going through the Old Testament things, um, you know, we're dealing with the same kind of topics we deal with in the New Testament, but kind of a fresh look at it. And so we went through our, our tabernacle class, We went through the Malachi class, and um, now we're going to do something a little different because we're going to get into uh, the parables um, that Jesus talked about. We were not going to cover every parable by any means, um, and I'm not real sure. So I've I've got there's a book to the class up here. Uh, I think Jake mentioned there since lots of you signed up for it, and that's that's great. Uh, We're going to be teaching. So I I wrote the book, and then I teach the class. That's how we do that at, at the Sunshine School of Evangelism. So. Um, but uh, we may not cover the whole book, is what I'm saying. So I'm more, I'm more interested in, in just uh, being able to get through what we get through and make sure we understand some principles to help guide us through some of these ideas uh, that I am that we finish um, everything that's in that book. So right now it's, it's uh, there's about 14 parables that we'll cover in, uh, in, in, in the course of the next 16 weeks, I think it is, um, some of those we may cover more than one a night. Some of them we, we may spend more than one week on to, to really dig into it. Um, so we'll just kind of play that out and see what happens. Uh, I've got a couple other parables that we can get into that aren't in the book. And so if we get done and we've got a couple more weeks, there's some other ones I'd really like to get into. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but anyway, that's, that's kind of how, how this class is going to be set up. Now what's, what's different uh, is, you know, when we're dealing with the tabernacle and we're dealing with Malachi, we're dealing with topics that a lot of people aren't familiar with. And if you remember, if you were here for the tabernacle class, I mentioned that, you know, what I think is so interesting about that is sometimes you can take, you know, especially if you're dealing with denominational people, they know all the arguments, right? And so if you want to talk about baptism, they, they know what to bring up and how to argue. And it's like they've closed their minds to that idea. Like it's really, really hard to have an actual discussion about some of these biblical topics with people that have grown up and been trained to dismiss those ideas right out of the gate, right? And so if you're talking to someone that is anti-baptism, uh, it's, I mean, it's real hard to have an honest scriptural discussion because they just, they're going to write it off. They're not going to listen to you. They know all the arguments, etc. cetera. You, you talk to people that are made up their mind about the Lord's Supper and they're wrong. They're not, they're not being biblical about it. You know, it's hard to have a biblical discussion about that because they're, they've already closed their mind to it. And so the tabernacle is is a fresh look at, at those familiar ideas, right? Because you go through the tabernacle, we learn about baptism. We learn about the Lord's Supper, right? Every, every aspect of the church was set up, you know, in the typology of the tabernacle. And so we, we can look at those things, but most of our friends, uh, most of the people we'll talk, talk to, they, they're not accustomed to those ideas, right? And so maybe it can, it can get, get a fresh look at some of those ideas. The parable study, it's kind of the other way around. We're so, we're so accustomed to some of these studies that you know instantly we we'll, will kind of go where we've always went with some of them and because of that it's harder for us to take a fresh look and so you know what I'm going to try to get us to do is, is try to look at these like we've we've never seen them before. I'm not trying to pull out any new information I don't think I'm going to come up with anything new here I, I, and we shouldn't right I mean at some point I think I was looking you know I've been preaching at Glencoe for the last fifth. this will be 15 years that I've been at the Glencoe Church of Christ and, um, and that you know anyway i was 23 when i started there and uh i've been preaching you know two sermons a week plus a sunday school class and a wednesday night for 15 years i don't remember what the total is uh but it's a lot of sermons and lessons okay at some point i'm gonna run out of new things right i mean we shouldn't really be 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 covering new ground now does that mean everyone can just not fool with it anymore You know, does that mean I don't need to keep studying anymore? No, you know, we got to be familiar with even the old things, make new connections with them and that sort of a thing. So I'm not trying to break new ground here with the parable study. I'm not trying to be the Lewis and Clark of the Bible and, you know, cover some untapped resources and, you know, things that nobody's ever heard of. But I do want to try to look at them as if we've not heard them before. Okay, and so kind of get the preconceived ideas, kind of the the, the lessons we're used to hearing, get those away. Because you know, the, the idea behind these parables, we're gonna we're gonna spend special attention to the cultural and the historical context of the parables. We're gonna try to look at them the way that the original audience would have seen it, okay, and try to get what they would have would have heard um, because these parables were used for a reason. These these were these were everyday things that that, that were being used to describe things of the kingdom. And so, um, you know, for us, you know, well, just, just a good example of that, you know, how many people today, I mean, maybe a little more in this area, but, you know, there's very few people growing up in an agricultural environment today, right? I mean, it's less and less all the time. You know, most of the Bible, you know, is using agricultural imagery because, that's something most everybody at, at, at that time, and even up until recently, last 20, 30, 40 years, most everybody had some involvement with how a plant grew, you know, to put, put the seed in the ground and to watch it sprout and, you know, what it needed to develop and grow into a plant that would produce fruit and how to harvest that fruit. And you know what I mean? Those are, those are things people had everyday um, experience with. And today, most people, I mean, how many kids today have planted a seed? right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. Most kids have no hands-on experience with that process, and so we're, we'll get into the parable of the sower. You need to kind of understand how that, that works in order to understand that parable, right? And so it was things that everyday people understood in Jesus' day, and, and some of that stuff we're getting away from today, and it's good to revisit that uh, and, and kind of take a look from, from that kind of a context, a, a more of a cultural historical context. Um, we're also going to, when we look at these parables, we're not going to isolate them. We're going to um, many of them, many of the parables are <laughs> spoken of o- almost in, in context of one another. And so we're gonna take the, the, the context of the parables as they're spoken. Now, you know, if Jesus is, is talking to a different crowd and it's a different day, we're, we're going to keep that in mind, you know. But a lot of them are spoken of to the same crowd at the same, in the same sermon, right? The same, you know, and so they, they carry over with one another. About halfway through this class, we're going to move away from what I would consider to be uh, teaching parables to reactionary parables. There's, there's a whole bunch of them, especially in the book of Luke, that it's not like Jesus set out to preach a sermon. He saw something happening or he heard someone say something and in response to that, he gave him a parable. And so those are, those are, those are very different kind of contexts. And so you've got to understand what caused him to want, want to talk about that. Uh, because that's relevant to, to the lesson that we need to pull out of it. And so, so anyway, those are the things that we're going to do. We're going to consider the cultural, the historical context. We're going to take a lot of time talking about the placement of the parable in relation to one another so that we can maintain some uh, spiritual context, continuity. And, um, you know, and then we're going to talk about not just how we understand them, but how we need to practice these parables today. And so that's, that's kind of the goal. But like I said, very different because the last two classes we're dealing with Information, parts of the Bible that a lot of people don't have fresh in their minds. And then these parables are probably, I, I doubt we're going to ever talk about one that you don't already know pretty well and aren't familiar with. And so that makes it a little different. Um, yeah, so anyway, let's kind of get into our introduction. We probably won't get into a parable tonight, um, which is odd for a parable class. Uh, but but there's a reason for that. We've we got to set up some some foundation to this. Um, you know, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but let, let's talk about what a parable is, okay? Um, the word parable uh, is, uh, comes from a Greek word uh, that looks a whole lot like parable. Uh, it's a compound word, and so the, the beginning of this para, right, we, we have a lot of words that still use that today, right, um, and it means alongside of. And so what, what's some words where we see para in the beginning of the day? Parallel. Yeah, like parallel, what, what, is, what are parallel lines? they run alongside each other side by side. Yeah, very good. What's, what's another word where we use para? Parachute. Parachute. Okay, it's a chute you bring alongside with you if you're jumping out of a plane. Okay, that's, that's the idea. Paraphrase. paraphrase um, that's uh, what is a paraphrase? How do you define that? It's a bad Bible translation. <laughs> stay, <laughs> stay away from paraphrase. Uh, but you know, paragraph is another one. Parallax. Par, uh, now what is that? likes is to see an event from two different angles. Oh, okay. Yeah, Uh, very good. A lot of times using courts for witnesses where one person sees one thing, and another person sees another. Okay. Two different point of views, same event. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, very good. So, so parable, right, has that para in the beginning, right? It's, it's, it means something that's, it's alongside of. That's the idea. Now, the word balo, okay, and if you ever take an introductory Greek course, it's one of the one of the first vocabulary words that will probably be thrown at you it means to throw. That's all it means, to throw. And so a parable is a story that's been thrown alongside the truth. That's, that's, that's kind of the definition we're going to give it there, right? It's, a, uh, it's a, a story thrown alongside the truth with the intention to teach. Okay, and so Jesus would use parables to teach and relate spiritual truth Through stories that common individuals could relate with. And I can't stress that enough. He's he's going to relate to the common average person, right? The blue-collar worker. He's not he's not trying to to go into the most educated places of the world. He's, you know, where we're told in First Corinthians it's, you know, that he's gonna shame the wisdom of the world with the foolishness of the gospel, and so not many noble, not many wise, you know, have been called. And so the, the gospel is meant to be understood by everybody. Okay, and so he's going to use stories that the average person would understand, right? And he's going to throw that alongside the, the, the truth to help us get a spiritual reality of what's going on. Something that we can grab a hold of. Okay, well, let's turn to, um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. Okay, let's, let's ask the question, why? Right, why would Jesus teach this way? Okay, and there's, there's a very practical answer to that that we're going to look at in Matthew 13. Um, I think there's there 's another practical answer too. Uh, you know I, I teach my children with with using parables often you know we we talk about something that they can grab their head around and you try to try to implement a bigger truth behind it right and so it gives them something to grab a hold of uh, so that they start have something in to to, uh, to resonate with when you, you talk about bigger concepts, bigger ideas you know and so um, you know, it's an it's, it's important idea. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is going to explain um, the question is asked there in verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, that's the question. Why would we want to speak in parables? Okay, and so here's the answer. We're going to go down through 16. Jesus answered them, To you, okay, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, well, it's not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull with their ears they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes otherwise they would see with their eyes and they'd hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and i would heal them but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear okay well here's the idea um have you ever you ever been you know one-on-one with somebody and again, I, you know, I hope you're getting this. This is the second year we've done this now. Um, just This is for free. This is, this is, we're going to sideline this for a second. As a Christian, if you want to grow, you understand these classes aren't going to do it for you. Okay? you there's going to come a point in your life where as a Christian, you are not going to grow anymore until you start teaching this to somebody else, right? Until you start evangelizing, until you start having spiritual conversations with people, like that's where spiritual growth is going to happen. It's going to force you to want to know more. It's going to force you to, to really um, get some solid on the answers that you have. It's going to force you to question some of the ideas that you've had and go back through the scriptures to fortify those and embolden those. You know, But there's going to become a point where taking in is not going to be enough. You have to give it back out. right? And so teaching is so very, very important and crucial. And that doesn't mean you're the guy up front on a, on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning teaching a class. It's Teaching to the person you work with every day, right? Teaching to your neighbor, teaching to your children, teaching to people in your family. Having those spiritual conversations is so crucial for spiritual growth. And you'll hit a point, you know. And I deal with this as a preacher, you know. There's there's people I can't grow them anymore, right? Until they get out and start actually doing this. Like there's there's a point where they won't grow until they're sharing this with somebody else. And so, but anyway, if you've never done that, okay. For those that have, you know, if you you've sat down with people and you've tried to have some Bible studies one-on-one with somebody, or you sat down and tried to explain some of these things to people, there's, there's some people that are just eager to hear it, right? They, they want to see what the Bible has to say. They're excited to see what the truth is. Their desire is for the truth. Other people are less interested in the truth. They're more interested in being right, even if that means they're wrong with the Bible. They'd rather be right, you know, with their ideas, okay? And so these people are less interested in what the Bible says they're more interested in the argument, right? They're more interested in proving that you're wrong, that they don't have to change, right? And we've we've been through this a lot in the last two classes. There's there's a reason false teaching exists. It's because it's easy, okay? Not because it makes more sense. Not because uh, you know it's e- it's just it's easy to believe because it's easy to follow, and people will rather be wrong than change. Okay? It's easier to be wrong than it is to change, and so you're going to run into some people like that sometimes. And you can sit down. You can you can walk through. You know, you can go through the whole book of Acts with them and say, okay, we're going to look at every conversion that takes place. We're going to see what has to happen here. And, you know, your conversion needs to look like these conversions. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing to do. And so you can spend weeks going through the acts of conversions with somebody. And then when they get done, they're going to say, yeah, but I just pray Jesus into my heart. Well, did we see that anywhere in the Bible? Have we seen that in the book of Acts anywhere? You know, well, we'll, we'll you know, if you can find it, here's a $1,000 on the table. If you find the sinner's prayer and they're taken, you know, I, I, it'd be worth it to, 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 to see somebody prove that, right? That's the, uh, no, 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 you know, but it won't matter. It won't matter because that's what they did. That's what mom and dad did. That's what grandma and grandpa did. And they don't care what the Bible says. And I've been told that. I don't care what the Bible says. I know I'm right. Okay. And so they're not interested in truth, are they? Okay. And so sometimes people aren't interested in the truth. And so Jesus talks about that kind of a crowd. Their heart is is dull, right? It's been hardened over, it's calloused over. Okay. And so so the the word of God's not penetrating and it's not changing them. It's it's not making a difference in their life. And so Jesus is saying, "Okay, sometimes, right, you know, he's going to speak in parables so those who want the truth, they're going to hear the truth in those parables, right? They're going to be able to to seek the truth out and understand what Jesus is saying. But those with hardened hearts, okay, they're going to dismiss Jesus because the other option is maybe they could be hardened even further. Okay, and so, so in order to not be hardened further, Jesus will speak in parables, and, and here's what's going to happen is if, if somebody wants to ignore it anyway, and they're not spe- seeking spiritual truth, and they hear Jesus up talking about how the kingdom of heaven is going to be like the farmer who goes out and sows seed, and he goes talking about this parable with the sower and the seed, you know, someone sitting there could just say, well, Jesus just giving farming advice. Doesn't apply to me. Right? This has nothing to do with my life. I don't have to repent. I don't have to change. I don't have to do anything different. And so I can dismiss it. Okay? But they're not hardened any further. Right? They're not, they're not hostile against it. Right? They're, they're, not, they're not making it worse for themselves. They're just able to dismiss Jesus and go on. And so those who are going to seek the truth can see it. And those who aren't, 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 aren't hardened further for it. Um, I'll give you an example of this. I was at a congregation... Uh, several years ago and uh, we were having a discussion about a a vacation bible school topic and we were going to kind of do our own thing that year and there was a lady there in the congregation uh, who had a granddaughter that would have been coming to the you know she was part of the the congregation there too and she would have been in that vacation bible school age and she was real instrumental in trying to help with uh, the activities and stuff, she suggested instead of doing like a different story every night of the week for Vacation Bible School, let's let's pick like one account and just really dive into it, different different angles of it every night. You know, that way when it's over with, those kids really understood one thing rather than, you know, just get the gist of four or five different things. And so we thought, well, that could be a good idea. We'll, we'll give that a whirl. And so the topic came up. She said, well, what about the parable of the talents? Like that would be a really cool idea to teach the kids. And so there's a lot of different things you could bring out. Each night you could do a different thing with that. And you know, there's the, you know that's relevant. And um, one of the guys that was I, was, I was a youth minister there. So one of, one of the preachers there uh, actually got mad at this woman um, and, and kind of ridiculed her in front of everybody because he said, you know, don't you realize that the parable of the talent has nothing to do with these kids? It's about finances. And that's all it's about. It's about how to handle your finances. And these kids don't need to fool with that right now. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. This is why Jesus spoke in parables. <laughs> you know, uh, this guy missed it. I mean, he totally missed it. Now, he's right, a talent was a form of, 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 of uh, currency, you know, a way to measure currency, but that's not what the parable's about, is it? You know, it's like saying the parable of the sower is agricultural practices, you know, that's all it's about. No, of course not, right? He's using that to, to throw alongside uh, the truth so that we have something to grab a hold of. And so, anyway, these parables, okay, it, it's important that we see in these parables that each one of these demonstrates a spiritual reality not a physical one right using the the things of the flesh to, to demonstrate things of the spirit but also it's not just about understanding information every parable has a degree of responsibility that comes with it and that responsibility has to be burdened by every faithful follower of Jesus Christ there is something that each of these parables calls forth from us if we are going to be an active part of the kingdom of God and, and of what Jesus Christ is doing. And so, you know, it's important that we understand the lesson, but it's also important, equally as important, that we understand how to respond and how to apply these lessons, right, and to keep, keep our attention on those things as well. <clears throat> One of our rules that we're gonna kind of lay down as we go through these parables is that the parables are meant to be simple, they're observable, and they're reasonable, okay? So every parable that Jesus throws out, the whole point of it is supposed to, the, the parable itself isn't supposed to be confusing. The, the physical side of it's supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be reasonable. That way you can think, oh, so obviously the spiritual side of this, uh, this ought to make sense, right? And so, um, so these things are, you know, you ever hear people say, I've been told this my whole life, okay? I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church, but even non-church people You know, told me this all the time that, you know, we hear things like, well, God works in mysterious ways. You ever hear that? Yeah, I hate hearing that one. Okay? Um, If God is working in mysterious ways in your life, you need to open up the Bible. Okay? Uh, you need to pay attention to what the Word of God has to say. It's, it's not mysterious. It's been outlined out. His character is not mysterious. He, he has demonstrated Himself to us. He's communicated to us to, so that we understand Him and we are called to understand His will. Uh, people say, well, God's mysterious. People also say, you know, whenever, whenever, whenever someone gets to a bit of scripture, uh, I've heard this a lot from some denominational people I've talked to, uh, will disagree on something. So, you know, of course, they'll say, well, let's agree to disagree or they'll say, well, we're not really meant to understand it all. That's their way of saying, you know, you know, you can you can have your version of it. and I've got my version of it or I don't want to I don't want to look into it any further. Right. We weren't meant to understand it uh, all anyway. Now, let's think about that. You know, is, does that make sense? Why did God give us the word revealed to us? To make sense of spiritual. Yeah, to make sense of spiritual things. You know, what we're told, you know, all Scripture, right? is profitable. It's God breathed. It's profitable for what? Used for teaching, right? Used for instruction, correction, uh, training in righteousness, so that we can be adequately equipped for every good work. And so, it doesn't make sense for God to give us this book just to confuse us just to throw us off his sense in case we're getting too close to figuring him out, you know. That's not the plan. And so, not, now, there's, there's parts of it that we ain't got figured out yet, and we just need to work harder on it. You know what I mean? We need to spend more time in it. We need to make make, make more connections in it. But to say that, that you know, it wasn't meant to be understood is, is an insult to God who gave it to us. And so, thing is, Jesus would often speak to Simple, blue collared uh, working-class people. That, I mean, that's that's almost always the crowd that he has. They're not overly educated. They're not they're not impressive intellects. They're just they're they're normal, hard-working people. And you know, again, First Corinthians chapter uh, chapter one, verse twenty-six. Consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Okay, and so you know, we are meant to understand. And how many times have we heard blessed are those who hear and understand, okay? And so God God wants us to hear. He wants us to understand what's going on here. And so he would use, like he said, he would use um, things that were simple and observable. And so what I mean by observable, well, you know, he's going to use a lot of agricultural stuff. Why? Because they see it, right? God God created this world in Genesis, right? And so we can go back in Genesis, we can read where God made... uh, you know, every, every tree is gonna produce a fruit and uh, inside that fruit is gonna be a, a seed and if that seed goes in the ground, what's it gonna produce? Another tree of the same kind and it's gonna produce the same kind of fruit and it's gonna have a seed and that seed can fall in the ground. Right, and so it's observable. We can go outside and actually watch that take place. And so if God's going to use something in these parables, it's something observable, something that we've seen, something we can see, something that's reasonable, something that's going to kind of make sense. And so let's think about how that works, okay? Jesus goes to encounter the woman at the well. What's he talk to her about? Living water. Living water. Well, that's a lucky coincidence. That was the sermon he printed out the night before, right? Took it with him and here's he met the snow, right? He, he talked about living water because it was relevant in the moment, right? He was able to, to take something that was going on in the moment and, and shift it into a spiritual conversation with her. That's That's, it. that's something we all need to learn how to do right? We need to take conversations that we're already having with people and being able to push those into a spiritual direction, right? Being able to use the conversation we're already having. People, you know, people ask all the time, they say, well, it's, you know, how do you, how do you get a Bible study started, right? How are you going to have those conversations with people? It's awkward, right? It's, 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 there's no easy way to do it or, you know, it, it always feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it does always feel uncomfortable. There's no cool way to do it. Okay, if you're waiting for the perfect time, it, you've missed it. It's all, you know, there's no, there's no perfect time. To, you just have to bring it up. But you can start that by by easing conversations into spiritual conversations, right? That's that's what Jesus did, right? He didn't go out there and say, "Hey, would you like to sit down and talk about your married life and uh, your life at home and the sin that you're in, and you know, and, and how you can have forgiveness. you know?" And he didn't, you know, he talked about living water because she was there for. For water, right? And so he took what was happening, took the circumstance, took the moment, talked about something that was relatable, something that could make sense to her, and, and, and uh, drove it toward something spiritual. Okay, um, there in John chapter 6, Jesus, uh, you know, he's got a crowd of people who've been following him and, and they haven't ate. And so, you know, he, uh, he uses the bread and, uh, and the fish there, and, and everybody eats. And then immediately after that, what's he start preaching on? How he's the bread of life. Well, why is that? You think that was just, again, a lucky coincidence? No, no coincidences, right? He he spoke on that because it was relevant at the moment, right? It was on everybody's mind. It was something they could all, they were all asking for another meal, right? And so, hey, uh, let me tell you what, that bread from heaven, that manna that came down and fed your fathers, like it could feed you for another day. You'll be hungry again tomorrow. Let me talk to you about something that will fulfill you for all eternity, right? And so he pivoted from the flesh to the spirit. Okay, so he's using things that are relatable, simple, and observable. Okay, and so that's that's important to kind of keep those in mind. So 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 with the parables, again, you know, one of the problems we might encounter is that things that were relatable in Jesus' culture are not may not be as relatable to us. And so our job is to get our minds, you know, into the right context so that we can take those truths out of that and bring them back into 20. 23. Okay, that's, that's the idea. So we have to understand what it meant when Jesus said it and how it would have impacted the people, his, the physical audience that was there listening. And then we can bring it back to our time and say, okay, so how does that apply to us? Um, and so historical and cultural context is going to be a big deal for a whole lot of these things. All right. We've got to talk about the kingdom tonight. And this is why I said we may not get into our first parable tonight. Because talked to Jake about this a little bit. Um, I, you know, I'm uh, trying to figure out how, how this is all going to go. You know, I, I'm, We're probably all pretty secure on what the kingdom of God is and how that works. Uh, but I also don't like to assume anything with people. Uh, it's not going to kill us to, to have a refresher course on this if you are pretty up to date on it. Uh, and it's also, it's extremely relevant. Uh, and it's a conversation that we need to be prepared to have with other people. And so this, this can kind of help uh, with that as well. But many of the parables begin with the phrase like this, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven can be likened to. And then Jesus begins the parable. And so, uh, you know, especially through Matthew, most of these parables are related to the kingdom. And so if we don't Understand the kingdom, then we're not going to understand the parables, and if we don't understand the parables, we're not going to understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And to me, you know, in my experience, a lot of the issues we have with pulling out the spiritual truth of these parables is forgetting that they're supposed to be about the kingdom. Um, you know, uh, we're going to have to to kind of keep ourselves in check as we go through this. We're going to there's going to be a a natural drive to want to look at a lot of these parables and say well this is about the world and this is about the church Um, and and that's that you know that's not helpful because they're not they're they're really not about the world versus the church Most of them are just about the church and and what life is like in the kingdom and what the church is going to have to deal with and and, and what a lot of the the issues that we're going to have to face and why it's so important that we hold to the truth of God's word and we stand our ground and we we don't compromise and we hold the line scripturally because there's there's a lot of things coming that are going to want to pull the church away from that. And so... Um, and so, anyway, it's it's important that we get those things together. And so, I've got uh, the note that the handout that I gave you tonight. And and I know that we had handouts. We had a book for the first class. Uh, that was kind of an outline form. We had handouts last class. Um, this will probably be the only handout we get for this class. Uh, like I said, the, the book's available if you want the book, and you don't have to have the book. Even you know you can you know we'll have the PowerPoint and stuff. Uh, so. Anyway, just want to make sure next week there's no handout and everyone's not disappointed in me. Um, there's a book if you want it. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Um, but anyway, the handout that you have tonight isn't in the book. That's why you have a handout. And so I thought we would take some time uh, discussing the kingdom of God, making sure that we could uh, use scripture to verify what we're talking about. And so, um, so let's let's start with this, okay? And 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 my my struggle with these classes on Tuesday is always how to break it up we've got the break, and then we've got the and the, you, we never know the break could be five minutes long or forty minutes long and um, you know and, and I'm used to just teaching until I run out of time uh, anyway, so some of this may end up that way this time you know I think last, last time I tried to kind of have an appropriate place to end by the time we were done, um, we, we may just be like whoops we're out of time we'll finish this up next week and Hopefully, that'll be okay with everybody. So, but anyway, um, with the kingdom, this is kind of where I want to start for, for today. Um, what is the kingdom? Now, let's, let's open that up. Uh, not necessarily what do you think the kingdom is. What kind of answers would you get if you just went out and started asking people that question? What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? What kind of things have we heard before? I've heard it's heaven. Okay, I hear that a lot. A lot of people, you know, the kingdom of heaven is heaven, okay? And so, and, okay, so let's think about that for just a second. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that this is wrong or right at the moment. Well, well I'm going to let Scripture answer that. But what are some of the implications if the kingdom of heaven is heaven, and that's the definition, what, is that, what does that mean? We're not, We're not in it currently, okay. What else might, what would that mean? What does it take to get in it? You have to be a subject. Okay subject to the king. You have to be subject to the king. Now, but if the kingdom is just heaven, okay, Jake, did you say it? You have to die. You have to die to get there, right? And, or Jesus has to come back first, you know. Um and so that's that's an implication that that that's worth thinking about. Okay? What other things do we hear about the kingdom? Most commonly today I hear that it's heaven. That's that's pretty 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 common. We hear think it's paradise on earth. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 here on earth. So, you know, yeah, we hear that a lot today too. She said the Jehovah's Witnesses Jehovah. think it's paradise on earth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they come knocking on my doors too, or they used to. Um, that's that's a different story. They'll, <laughs> they'll mark you down. Yeah, yeah. Back. They'll they'll kind of blackball you if you point them out in some scripture. Um, Anything else we hear about the kingdom? How many people today in the religious world, I'm using that very loosely, I didn't notice, I didn't say the church, the religious world, um, think that the kingdom's not here at all yet, that we're waiting on it. Okay? Yeah, so, you know, I'm back, I don't, it's not as popular as it used to be. I'd say, you know, probably about 20 years ago, uh, one of the biggest issues that, that I saw and that was creeping into the church was a lot of the stuff, you know, about the rapture and the second coming and, and all of that. And, and the whole premise behind those those doctrines is that the kingdom... Uh, Well, Jesus couldn't set it up because, you know, he was killed. Right. And so, you know, he came to set up an earthly kingdom. Uh, He was rejected by everybody. And so he failed. They won't say that, but that's what the doctrine teaches. He failed. And so Jesus uh, set up the church as kind of a stopgap measure and is going to come back and try again. Okay, and so that's, that's when the rapture and he'll set up a kingdom on earth. That's, that, that, anyway, that was big doctrine, you know, 20, 25 years ago, uh, left behind books, you know, uh, everyone was trying to, uh, you know, Y2K was gonna be the end of it, you know, you remember that? Um, you know, so anyway, I, I hear less of that today than I used to, but right, again, right around Y2K, that was a big deal, that was a big, big deal. And so, any, anyone here still dealing with that? I mean, you still hear that stuff today? yeah I like to say yeah those, those sorts of ideas sure yeah um, now, now if you get on you know and you're, you're watching basically any biblical uh, TV program that's going to air uh, on uh, you know you they, they still kind of tend to go that way quite a bit of them but uh, I see less of it in the church than I used to which is good it means we're getting we're making some progress in that area okay uh, so, th- so that's, that's, a, that's an important thing to understand you know when you're talking to people you need to be able to, to go through some of those topics anything else before we move on What's the kingdom? What would we hear today from people? Any, any of the, the ideas that we, we know were false? Kingdom hasn't come yet, for Jesus to uh, go to heaven. Yeah, yeah, so that one's real popular. Yeah, real big, okay. So um, how many people do you think if you ask that question to, even in the church, couldn't even give you an answer? I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, a lot, I think a lot, a, lot of, a lot of Christians are ignorant on this idea. And, uh, you know, and that's that's kind of scary, too. And so. So anyway, we're going to we're going to take a dive. Like I said, we want to let the the scripture answer this question. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you where where I'm going to land on this. Uh, But you don't have to agree with me. Uh, You know, you need to agree with the scripture. But we're going to we're going to we're going to go through the scripture and prove this. Uh, You know, I'm fully convinced that the kingdom is the church. Um, I think that uh, you know the the king to be a part of a kingdom you have to be subject to the king Uh, I think you could identify or define a kingdom by anybody or any place that is that is under the authority of the king and so I think that's every Christian I think that's also every soul in heaven I think those are both the kingdom you know I I think the anywhere uh, maybe this would be a good way to define it any place where the will of God is 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 being accomplished would be part of that kingdom, you know. And so um, you're not going to gonna be doing the will of God by obeying false teaching and false doctrine. You're not going to be doing the will of God by disobeying the gospel and the plan of salvation. You know, those are important things to understand with that. Uh, but anyway, like I said, you don't have to take my word for it. We're going we're gonna to hit some scriptures. And so what we're going to do is, uh, like I said, you can follow along on the sheet that I gave you. Um, we're going to start with some Old Testament prophecies concerning the kingdom. We're just going to look at two of them, but they're 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 pretty good ones here, where there's a lot of details. And we're going to try to take this as simple as we can. You know, this this is kind of designed um, where you could sit down with anybody and walk them through these things. And so there's there's a lot we could talk about, but we're just going to try to point out the things that are obvious, the things that are kind of not debatable about these. Okay. And so let's go to Isaiah chapter two to get started here. Isaiah chapter two, and you know, to give us a timeline. Okay, in Isaiah chapter 2, we're about at uh, 750 B.C., okay, and um, and just to put that into some perspective, you know, uh, this is probably about 250 years after it, after Israel was at its prime, okay? So we're at a time where, you know, King David is long gone, right? And, but Israel is always looking back to that time of King David, right? What they want is a kingdom that's as strong and as sure uh, as as relevant as it was during the time of King David, and so uh, they're not gonna not gonna get there in the flesh, but uh, that's what they're after. So Isaiah chapter two, okay, and uh, you know, let's go. We're just gonna read the first four verses here. It says, "The word which Isaiah the son of Amos uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days." The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Well, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war." Okay, so I said, a lot we could talk about with this. We're just wanting to pinpoint um, some of the big things that are obvious that are kind of undisputable here. And so so first off, I'll just say this. Uh, When is this gonna take place? in the last days we see that right and so we'll talk about what that means in a minute uh, we you know again if you're gonna sit down and share this with somebody you don't have to have a debate about when the last days are that will answer itself in a few scriptures uh, but we know from here in the last days something big is gonna happen right and so uh, what's gonna happen he says there's gonna de- that the day that the kingdom of God will be established Okay, and, and you know when he talks about a mountain of the house of the Lord, the, the next scripture is going to verify that mountain is referring to a kingdom. But in prophetic language here, in most of these prophecies, when you start hearing about mountains, it's talking about kingdoms. Mountains being shaken. Mountains being overturned. You know, We're talking about kingdoms of, of, of people on the earth. And so there's going to be this mountain of the Lord, right? This kingdom of the Lord, and it's going to be established. Okay? It's going to be established as a chief among the mountains okay now not only does it say that this will be in verse two uh, chief of the mountains it also says it'll be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it how many nations all right now in the old testament specifically in the hebrew that word nations and the word gentile same word interchangeable right and so we're talking about those who are not part of god's people right those who aren't part of israel that all the nations will stream to it. And so this would include certainly the Gentiles, right? This would include people like us, right? That, that we'll be able to stream to this, to this, this, uh, this mountain of God. And, and, and then where is it going to take place? We mentioned the wind. What, what location keeps coming up in this? going to start in Jerusalem, right? That's going to, you know, that physical place. Now, you could debate, well, maybe they are not talking about a physical Jerusalem or, well, we'll, we'll deal with that later. But one thing can't be ignored. Jerusalem is an important place where this is going to take place, right? And so it's going to happen in Jerusalem. Uh, it's going to be the kingdom of God's going to begin there. All the nations of the world will stream to it. It's going to happen in the last days. Now, I think those are things that we can pull out of this that most people can't really argue with or dispute. Uh, and so, we can make a kind of a mental checklist. Whatever the kingdom is, it needs to be able to talk all those boxes, right? And so that's kind of what we're doing. We're going to go through these prophecies. Uh, It's kind of like putting together a big puzzle at the end. We're going to go back through. And so if the kingdom is the church, the church has to hit all those boxes, right? Um, And and, and so we'll we'll see. Spoiler alert, it does. Okay, (laughs) so... All right, yeah. Okay, let's look at... um, Let's look at Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look here at, um, you know, the dream there of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And... uh, And so we're going to pick up there in verse 31 of chapter 2. Uh, you know, it, especially if you're going to be sharing this with somebody else, make sure you fill in the background. Have them read the, uh, you know, chapter 2 or chapter 3. Uh, you know, it's important to get the context. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's got a dream, right? And um, dream's bothering him. And so what Nebuchadnezzar does is he calls into his court all the fortune tellers, all the soothsayers, all the... Uh, Dream interpreters, the you know people doing the astrology, saw everything. He pulls all these people in from his kingdom, puts him in the room, and he's expecting someone to explain to him the dream. Now Nebuchadnezzar's no dummy, okay, uh, you know because you know in order to know that he's not going to be swindled by any of these people, he doesn't tell them what the dream is. That's pretty smart, right? So he's, gonna tell, so he's gonna bring all these people that claim that they can do this into, into the room and he's not gonna tell them what the dream is and so to make sure that they're being honest and that they're not just telling him what he, they, they think he wants to hear, he's gonna tell them, okay, you, you gotta tell me uh, what my dream was and then you can interpret it. Because anybody could interpret your dream if you tell them what it was. You know, They can say whatever they want. Uh, and so that's the test. Now, here's the, here's the catcher. If they don't do it, he kills them. Okay, so there's, there's some urgency on this. We need to, we need to do this, and you know, we better be able to say what the dream was. Well, they get wind that there's this guy, Daniel. Uh, God has, has, has used Daniel in this fashion before, so he's got kind of a reputation. So they bring him up, and Daniel comes in, and what we're going to read, Daniel is going to begin uh, having a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar here, and he's going to start by saying, okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what you dreamed. Right, so he's going to tell him what the dream was, and he's going to interpret it. Okay, and so beginning there in verse uh, 31, it says, well, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 2, verse 31, okay, he says, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. Now that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. I always thought it was neat that the Bible uses awesome. Okay, verse 32. (laughs) The head of that statue was made of fine gold. Its breast and its arms uh, of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. How, How was it cut out then, you think? Must have been God doing it, right? So God's going to cut out the stone, so stone cut without hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time. They became like shaft from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So you hear some of the same language there, right? Right? And so, 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 you know, Daniel was explaining the dream, you know, and basically uh, this is kind of, I guess, what he saw is a statue made of various types of metal. Uh, the head was of gold, the breast and the arms were silver, the belly and the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, the feet had iron mixed with clay. And so that's, that's the statue. And so anyway, Daniel explains that that's the dream, and then Beginning in verse 36, he he gives the interpretation. Okay, so verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. Who's the head of gold? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. After you, there will arise another kingdom. What what kingdom does Nebuchadnezzar belong to? Babylon. Babylon. That's the kingdom. So the head represents Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. After you, he says, is going to, um, verse 39, arise another kingdom inferior to you. Okay. And so, there'll be a, a, another a kingdom that, that, that takes over after them, and then a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the, all the earth. And so, you know, the, the Medo-Persian Empire uh, took over after Babylon, so that would have been the second one. And then after you is a third kingdom, and what's the third kingdom gonna be known for? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great right? Who sought to rule the whole, the whole earth, right? And so, wh- now, now how, what, what does that mean, that he sought to rule the whole earth? What did he do exactly? Because the time, timing's pretty important for, for the big scheme of things and what God was working. So, but, united the, the different countries together in you know, a philosophy, uh, culture. Yeah, so his idea of ruling the world wasn't, you know, with an iron fist and I'm going to destroy everybody and make them all my slaves. It was spreading Greek culture around the world, right? Philosophy, the language, that was a biggie, right? And so by the time we get into the New Testament, which was written in Greek, I mean that's a very fluent language, it's, it's, it's used all over the world, it was kind of the business language of the day, so for you to conduct business you had to be, you had to know the Greek, you know, and so that was, that's an important, important thing to understand with the, the timeline and the timing. So yeah, so Alexander the Great wanted to rule the whole earth. so he would have been the, the third kingdom, and then, um, and then it says there in verse 40, then after there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. And as much as iron crushes and shatters all thing, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong, part of it will be brittle, and in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seat of men, uh, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Okay. So... Um, so the, what, the, the, the fourth kingdom would be Rome, right? And, you know, there's a lot of talk about the fall of Rome and what happened, but Rome got a little too big for his britches is basically what happened. They, you know, they, they would bring in, uh, you know, uh, let, letting, letting communities, letting countries, letting people maintain a lot of their own private uh, you know, uh, ideas and, and, and ways of living, but then tax them, and and you know, and, and there was some some benefits to that, I guess. But it uh, there was a lot of division in the, at the at the core of Rome, uh, and so you know, however you want to want to look into that. But you know, has anyone ever heard the Rome called the Iron Kingdom? I mean, even even secular historians call Rome the Iron Kingdom. Okay, and so what we're given here is a timeline, is what it is. And so you know, it says that in that that. Um, You know, verse 44, look at this. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Okay? I would encourage you in your Bible to underline in the days of those kings. Not in the days of all of these kings, right? What kings was he just referring to? Rome. Rome. In the in the days of these kings of Rome, God will establish a kingdom. Okay, and so in the days of those kings, He will establish a kingdom. And then, what do we learn about the kingdom? It's uh, becomes a huge mountain that fills the whole earth. It's a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Okay, some pretty pretty big ideas there. All right, we're going to take our break. And then when we come back, we're going to start going through some of the New Testament prophecies uh, regarding the kingdom, and then we're going to walk through Acts chapter one and two a little bit, and and pull all those pieces together. All right. So you know we, we only looked at two examples here, but you're going to see, um, you know, you're, you know you go through looking for uh, prophecies about the kingdom. Uh, you know what we go through today you're going to be able to look and say oh that makes so much sense you know um so anyway, just kind of keep those things in mind. Even though we didn't go through, we only went through the, two of the Old Testament ones, you're gonna see the same kind of language being used. A lot of the same ideas are gonna be pointing to the same event here. So, uh, but let's, let's start looking through some of the New Testament prophecies concerning the kingdom. I got a big list there. Uh, we're gonna just kind of go through these together. And so, one of the things, you know, especially if you're talking to someone new and we're trying to figure these things out together, uh, you know, what is the kingdom of God? Well, you know, if it, if it hadn't happened in the Old Testament, Maybe the idea is, uh, maybe it starts with, with our New Testament text. Um, of course, we know too, you know, I, I, I almost don't even like calling it that, you know, uh, the New Testament doesn't begin <laughs> until Acts chapter 2. Um, we've been through that before. You know, you know why, you know, they, they split up the Greek and the Hebrew text is what they've done uh, in that. But, uh, but anyway, let's look at Matthew chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look at uh, before Jesus, okay? We've got, uh, uh, you know, the forerunner, um, John the Baptist. And, and here's, here's the sermon that he's preaching. Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent for what? that's it the kingdom of heaven is at hand uh, now, now too also I should have started with this earlier um, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God uh, those, those are phrases that are used interchangeably okay and so that's, that's easy to prove you can look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and you know in the same eyewitness account from Luke and from Matthew one will call it the kingdom of heaven and one will call it the kingdom of God and they're talking about the same thing you know and so those phrases are used interchangeably there, there's no way that you can go through the text and come out and say well the kingdom of God is this but the kingdom of heaven is this they, they've got to be the same thing and so I, I didn't go through that in great detail but you, you can easily work that, work that out on your own there um, but anyway John the Baptist is saying his sermon is repent because the kingdom is ready it's it's near it's not here yet it's near right I mean if the bus is near right it's time to get the kids ready and get out there because the bus is near the bus isn't here yet but it's going to be here real soon okay and so that's the idea so we're close to it but the kingdom isn't here yet when John's preaching now let's look at Matthew chapter 4 just just uh, probably a page over there Uh, the first sermon that Jesus begins to preach After he is set apart for his work uh, in baptism there, he goes out, he's tempted in in the wilderness and then he begins to call his disciples, okay? And so the message uh, begins in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, and so some people might say, well, maybe the kingdom begins when Jesus begins his ministry. Well, no, Jesus began his ministry with the same message, repent, Because the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. Okay, and so it wasn't there yet. But, you know, one thing worth talking about, what is preparation for the kingdom? Repentance, right? Repent because the kingdom is near. And so to get people ready for the kingdom, right, repentance was going to be necessary. That's what John was preaching. That's what Jesus came to preach, is to get people to repent because the kingdom is near. All right, let's turn to Mark chapter 9. Uh, this, this one I think is really important for, for a whole lot of reasons. But when you, when you talk to people that think that the kingdom's not here yet... Uh, when you talk to people that think that they are waiting on the kingdom, that Jesus has to come back first and then we'll get a kingdom. When you talk to the Jehovah Witnesses that want to talk about a kingdom on earth later, this is a good verse to take them to. When you talk to people that think kingdom, uh, the kingdom is heaven and, that, and so you have to die in order to get to heaven, uh, you know, this is a good verse to look at because this verse very clearly, very plainly, uh, no two-way around it, uh, makes it clear that the kingdom had to have came in the lifetime of our disciples that were there with Jesus. Okay, so Mark chapter 9, in verse 1, says this, Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Who's he talking to? Talking to his disciples. There's some of those who are standing right here As Jesus said this, who will not taste death. Now again, if kingdom if the kingdom of heaven is heaven, right, those guys are gonna have to die in order to to see it. Right? They will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come, and they're gonna see it come after it's come with power. Okay? And so that's a big deal. And so can you think of any of those twelve disciples standing there at that moment, if the kingdom is the church, who died before the church started? Yeah, Judas didn't make it, did he? Right? He died before the church came, right? And so, anyway, that seems to fit, right? But then, again, Mark 9-1 is real important. When you're dealing with the, the, the rapture crowd, when you're dealing with the, the, you know, Jesus has to come back and set up an earthly kingdom crowd, when you're dealing with the Jehovah Witness crowd, you know, the heaven is the kingdom crowd, this verse is, uh, I, there's no way you can get around that. Some of those disciples had to be living when, when they saw the kingdom, okay? All right, let's, uh, let's look at John chapter 3. Another account that we're probably real familiar with, <clears throat> John chapter 3, verses 1-7. through seven. Okay, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. Well, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he's old he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born can he Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water uh, and the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit do not be amazed I say to you you must be born again you should get baptized but you don't have to right is that what he's saying you know you, you, you can be saved without it, but you, know, you, ought to, you ought to get baptized to show everybody. Is that what he's saying? No, you must be born again, water and spirit, in order to enter into the kingdom, in order to see the kingdom. Must means must. Right? You, we can get into the Greek all you want there. No way around it. Must means must. There's no exception. Everybody wants an exception? Everyone wants to say, yeah, but if so-and-so didn't get to heaven, nobody did. Or my grandma was the best grandma in the world, made the best cookies, you know, was so good to us grandkids, and she wasn't baptized. That's great, man. I'm glad she was good to you. I'm glad she made good cookies. The exception is unless a man is born again. The rule of thumb is we all die and spend eternity in a devil's hell. You understand that? We don't deserve anything but that. The exception to that is unless a man be born again. And so we, you know, we need to keep that in mind. This is the exception. Everybody wants to be the exception. The only exception is that a let man be born again. And so must be born again to enter the kingdom. And so anyway, the kingdom, right, born again. We're going to see that connection obviously in a minute. Um, let's go to, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you, or in your midst, depending on your translation. The kingdom of God is within you. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is, you know, I'm not going to be able to sit down and, and give you the address to the kingdom, Okay. Uh, you're not going to be able to jump in your chariot, ride down the road and pop in for the kingdom for a little while and then leave the kingdom for a little while. That's not how it works, you see. The kingdom is not going to be a physical place. It's not going to be, uh, you know, the queen of Sheba came to visit the kingdom of David. Not, that ain't going to work that way no more. You see what I mean? It's not going to be a physical kingdom. It is going to be a spiritual kingdom. It will be within you. Not up in heaven, but within you is what, what we're told, right? So that's, 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 a, that's another one worth holding on to. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We start in verse 13. Another text we're probably familiar with. Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 19 here. (coughs) Now when Jesus came into the district accessory of Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that tell no one that he's the Christ. Okay, so a lot lot we can you know we can make some connections here. He's going to build his church. Okay, it's Christ's church, he builds it. We don't build it, it's not our church. He's, uh, you know, the, the rock that the church is built upon. Uh, it's not whatever rock we want it to be. It's not whatever rock we find, right? It's, it's, uh, it's the rock that Jesus claimed here. Uh, and, and so it's his church. And then he starts talking about the kingdom, right? And so there's a connection there he's trying to make. And who, what, what, he gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter. What, what does a key do? Yeah, it opens a door, doesn't it? It unlocks something. It opens something up. And so Peter has been given the keys of the kingdom. Okay, and so that's that's important to keep that in mind. There, um, let's turn to um, let's turn to Luke chapter 23. I said, we're just pulling all these out. We're we're going to kind of go through them and and uh, put the pieces together here in a moment. Luke chapter 23. I, I really don't normally like jumping around with this much scripture in a Bible study. I, I think it gets people lost, and it's uh, it's easy to. But sometimes topical studies are necessary. Not not all the time, but sometimes topical studies are necessary. So. Um, Luke chapter 23, 50 through 51. This one's subtle. This one's easy to miss there because it's not really about the kingdom, but it mentions something about the kingdom. And it's important because, you know, we might be thinking now, we can go back to our tabernacle class. Okay, let's let's step out of this for a second. The tabernacle class we made, made it was kind of a big deal when talking about, uh, you know, at what point is our sins forgiven in that process, you know. We, we mentioned that the the sacrifice for our sins takes place at the altar which is outside of the holy place, right? But that is not where atonement took place, is it? So where does atonement take place? Like, we are like, we didn't sign up for tabernacle class tonight, Ethan. Uh, took, yeah, the Atonement had to happen at the mercy seat of God within the holy of holies, right? And so the sacrifice takes place at the altar, but the blood had to be brought in before the mercy seat of God by the high priest, for the day of atonement. So, you know, a lot of times what we do is we put all the emphasis on our forgiveness on the cross. Okay, the cross is the altar, the cross is where the sacrifice takes place. Necessary and important, but that's not where atonement happens. We don't, we're not forgiven at the cross. The atonement doesn't take place at the cross. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross, he had to, as our high priest, take before the heavenly mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, the heavenly tabernacle, not made with hands. And he had to present himself to the Father as the atonement for our sins. And we, we read about that in Hebrews. And so, you know, sometimes some people may sit and think, okay, well, the kingdom, maybe it happened at the cross, right? Maybe that is the point where things change. Okay, well, here it is. And, and we'll, we'll read it here in Luke 23, 50 through 51. A man named Joseph who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, and he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Is it here yet? No, Jesus has died. He's been crucified, right? But the, the kingdom hasn't came yet. Okay, now, when does the church begin? Does it begin at the cross? No. Uh, how many people's sins are forgiven because Jesus died on the cross? That, that's not enough. You know what I mean? That's necessary. I'm not diminishing the cross, okay? But there needs to be a resurrection, right? There needs to be an ascension into heaven where Jesus, as our high priest, presents his blood before the mercy seat of God for our atonement, right? And only then can there be a shift in the covenant, a shift in the priesthood. Only then can the, the, the new covenant begin. Only then can the terms of pardon be obeyed and, and offered to people, and so that, that's, that's important because, you know, the timeline isn't the cross and it's not the resurrection, it's after his ascension. Okay, that it has to be after his ascension. And like I said, we covered that pretty, pretty well in the tabernacle class. But All right, let's go to Luke chapter 24, just a, another page over. Uh, verses 44 through 49, this is one of those texts that we, could, we really could sit and talk about for a long time, but we don't have the time to do that tonight. Uh, but it, it's worth exploring uh, some more about. Verse 44, in Luke 24, it says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it's written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the, de- from the dead the third day that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's now resurrected, right? How long does he stick around for? period of 40 days okay we're going to hit that here in just a minute okay it's important he's he's on earth for 40 days when he what what you know when he leaves what what what's the church what are the what are the disciples what are the apostles going to have to do what's their task yeah they're told to stay in jerusalem they're going to be clothed with power from upon high right and then what do they what do they get busy with Get the church off the ground, right? We've got to go preach the gospel. There's people to be saved, right? We, we can now uh, preach, proclaim, and obey the terms of pardon. Big deal, right? And so you would think if Jesus is going to be here for 40 days and he's got 40 days with the apostles to talk about things, wouldn't that be what he would talk about? Let's talk about the church. Let's talk about what you're going to be having to do. Let's talk about the doctrine. Let's talk about the practices. Let's talk about those things that are important. Um, what we're told, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Now it's reasonable to assume that 40 days with his apostles he'd talk to them about the task that they are left to take care of. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 down through verse 3. The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach till the day he was taken up to heaven. After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles which we just read those orders Right? Which he had chosen. To these he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning what? The kingdom of God. Now isn't that an odd thing to talk about if the kingdom and the church aren't the same thing? Isn't that an odd thing to spend your last 40 days with these apostles uh, when you could be preparing them for the task at hand? The church, instead, you're going to talk to them about the kingdom unless the kingdom and the church are the same thing, Right? And so, and so anyway, that's, that's what we're setting out to prove. But we want Scripture to, to speak for itself. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to take everything we talked about. Uh, we're going to see um, you know, the, the prophecy that we looked at is over here. I've got it set up a little different on the page that you have. But here's the event that we talked about. Here's where it was prophesied about in either the Old Testament or, or New Testament texts. And here's the fulfillment in Acts chapters 1 and 2. And, and there's, there's two of these, but we'll go through the first one. So the first thing we, we mentioned is that, you know, back in Isaiah chapter 2, because here's the deal, if, if everything we talked about doesn't match up with the coming of the kingdom of God, then, then we're wrong, right? We're wrong. It can't be 90% right, right? Prophecy, you know, for prophecy to be true and, and the fulfillment of that prophecy can't be almost there, right? Everything has to line up completely. And so everything we talked about, we need to see the fulfillment of that here in these two chapters if the kingdom is, in fact, the coming of the church. Okay, and so what we, what we established uh, in Isaiah chapter 2 is that the kingdom of God will be established in the last days. Okay. Um, what was the scripture you gave me? Daniel chapter 2. Okay. So we we started the, the in chapter chapter three verse thirty one in um, daniel uh, you know chapter three verse twenty eight Daniel talks about how that that prophecy is about what will take place in these last days in these later days, okay and so uh, both of those prophecies, and I missed that one that was a good good catch both of those prophecies bring up the fact that the kingdom of God is going to take place in the last days now that 's important because today. There's still a lot of talk about the last days. okay? And so if the kingdom is the church and the church is going to begin in the last days, then when do the last days need to be? they need to have started in Acts chapter 2, right? That's when the last days need to begin. And there's a whole lot of people still preaching and proclaiming that we're waiting on the last days or we just started the last days or, you know, we're in the last days and someone sneezes in the Middle East and that's a sign that we're coming up on the on the last days and COVID was a sign of the last days and things are going to get a lot worse in the last days. Uh, we've, there's a lot of talk about the last days in Scriptures, okay? Um, we have been in the last days, okay? look Look here in Acts chapter 2, okay? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verse 17, but before, let's, let's understand what we're looking at. Okay? Peter begins to preach. Okay? And what he preaches, his sermon on the day of Pentecost, where's it from? It's taken right out of the book of Joel. Okay? So, isn't that interesting? First New Testament sermon is an Old Testament sermon. Okay? And, and you preach Old Testament sermons today, they'll tell you it's not relevant. I actually I had a friend of mine that was, that was teaching over the book of Joel. And uh, they were they were teaching through the book of Joel on like a Wednesday night, and someone went up to him after the second or third week and said, "Why can't we go over something relevant like Acts chapter two? <laughs> and uh, anyway, you got to see the irony in that. So a- a- Acts chapter two, Peter's going to preach, and you know he's going to preach this gospel message, and it's going to come out of the book of Joel, okay? And so what he's trying to tell everybody is, hey, what you all have read about in the past. Those prophecies, like in Isaiah and this one specifically, we're going to talk about in Joel. You're watching the fulfillment of that right now, okay? And so let's let's go back here and into verse 14. 17 is is the verse we want to hit on, but in verse 14, Peter took his stand there with eleven raised his voice, declared to the men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Right? What you're seeing right now is what Joel prophesied. And here's the beginning of that prophecy. Verse 17. It shall be in the last days. So, Joel began his prophecy, it'll be in the last days, and Peter's saying this is the fulfillment of this prophecy that begins in the last days. When do the last days begin? Right here. Right here. Right, so we, have, we are in the last days, but we've been there for a long time. Right, we've been there for about 2,000 years, okay? And so, they, why, why, let's, practically, why is this the last days? Why would we call this the last days? Yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't, are we waiting on any more covenants? Wait, waiting on any more prophets? Waiting on a new foundation for the church? No? What, is, what does God have to do now? What's his next step? Yeah, it's over, right, when he comes back. And so, so God has done everything he needs to do, right? And so this is, this is the last days, right? It's not the old covenant, right? This isn't the days of the prophets. This isn't the day of the patriarchs. isn't the days of the flood of Noah. This is the last, because there's nothing left but for Christ to come back and it ends, right, in judgment. And so, uh, so these are the last days. Go to Hebrews, just hold your place there, but look at Hebrews chapter 1 real quick. <clears throat> okay, verses 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. These last days last days. Is that, is that future tense? Is that past tense? They are in the last days as that is being written. In these last days, he has already spoken to us through Jesus Christ, right? And so, um, again, last days already began. And so that, that lines up, right? I mean, that lines up with the prophecy in Daniel. That lines up with the prophecy in Isaiah 2. and Acts 2.17, we see the fulfillment of that. If the Kingdom of Heaven, the Kingdom of God is the Church. something else we see the next thing is that all nations have to string to it, okay All nations have to string to it it 's not just for the jews uh, it 's not just for Old Testament Israel that the Kingdom of God is for everybody. all nations have to spring uh, or uh, swing or uh, stream into it and so uh, let 's look at uh, and that we saw that in Isaiah chapter two. We also saw that in luke twenty four but look here in Acts chapter chapter uh, 2 in verse 5 the day of Pentecost here when when the kingdom begins it says now there were Jews living in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven okay every nation under heaven there, yeah and you know we get a list of them you know I mean they were spread out they were they were dispersed and so uh verse 39 right uh, right after verse 38 you know we're told uh in verse 38, that we're to repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Who's far off? Yeah, that's us, right? It's, it's the next generation. You know, And so uh, all nations get to stream to this, okay? And so, um, <clears throat> and so that checks out. Okay, uh, let's see, let's, uh, this was supposed to begin, according to Isaiah 2, verse 3, it was supposed to begin in Jerusalem, in uh, Luke 24, 44-49, they were told to wait in Jerusalem, right, and so where where is this happening? Yeah, it, it starts in Jerusalem, we get a reminder of that there in Acts 2, verse 5, it says now again, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and so that checks out with the prophecies that we looked at, okay. Um, Daniel talked about this being an eternal kingdom. I don't don't have an exact text here in Acts 2 that, that shows that this is an eternal kingdom, but those who are immersed have the forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so where do we die? We died at baptism, right? And so the life that we now live, right, the body will die. We live forever, right? So this is an eternal kingdom, an eternal kingdom, right? And so, you know, I already died. I died at baptism. Ethan Roth is dead. And so the life that I now live is to live for Jesus Christ. The flesh will be put down at some point, but, but the, the, the spirit lives on there. And so uh, an eternal kingdom, that's, that's important. Um, in Matthew 3 Ma- and Matthew 4, um, you know, it needs to be, if the kingdom is the church, it needs to be uh, close to and proximity to when, when John said the kingdom is near and when Jesus said the kingdom is near. Is that fit? If we're still waiting on the kingdom, would that fit? That doesn't make a lot of sense. For Jesus said, the kingdom's at hand um, and 2,000 2, years later, we're still waiting on it, okay? Um, <clears throat> how about in Mark chapter 9, verse 1? The kingdom will come during the lifetime of some of the disciples. Did, did any of the apostles, the disciples, did any of them get to see the kingdom come with power before they died? Yeah, all of them, but who? Judas, right? And so in Acts 2.14, um, we see Peter taking a stand with the 11. In Acts 1, 18-19, we find out what happened to old Judas there. Okay, he, he, didn't, he didn't make it, didn't get to see it come with power. And so that checks out as well. Um, it, the kingdom was going to come with power. We saw that uh, in Matthew chapter... Uh, oh, wait, that's wrong. Here we go. Yeah, we saw the prophecy of that in Mark 9-1. They're going to see the kingdom come with power. Okay, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Same idea, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Okay, and so they're going to receive power and what, what's the power for? I keep kicking that. Does that get everyone's attention when I do that? It's, it's, like, the, it's like a sneaky version of slamming the a little harder. Yeah. I'll break it, I think. <laughs> um, it's already broken yeah so uh what's the power they receive power from the holy spirit for what purpose it tells us in verse 8 to to be their witnesses right to be the to be the witnesses of the gospel right to spread the gospel and so immediately what we see in acts chapter 2 um you know we we can read here and we're we're going to talk about eventually we're going to have a holy spirit class I'm real excited to get into that it's one of my favorite classes to teach uh and we'll get into all this stuff here um yeah, that's if you all still have me out. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, let's see, where are we at here? The, okay, so Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pente- Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. They rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And, uh, you know, and then it goes on to explain that. So what were they doing? being his witnesses, right? What were these other tongues that they were speaking in? Okay, yeah, these were real languages that they had not studied, right? And we see that, we see the list. It mentions, I don't remember how many there are, but all the different people uh, that heard them in their own language. And so it mentions all those other languages. And, uh, you know, and so they, they were able to hear in their own tongue uh, those, those uh, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And so they were given power to be able to be the witnesses of the gospel message and to proclaim that. And so, uh, so they saw that come uh, they were a part of that. That checks out. John chapter 3, Nicodemus was told that you won't see the kingdom, won't enter the kingdom uh, without a new birth of water and spirit. Okay, does that check out? Okay, how, how do you become a part of the church? Yeah, there. There, you have to be born again. You, you have to be buried with Christ in the watery grave of baptism. Um, you, you die there. You're crucified with Christ. You resurrect out of that to walk in a newness of life, right? And so Romans 6 puts that together, but Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is where we see it here. And so that checks out. What about the kingdom being within us? Okay, is it physical? Can you Can I give you the address to the kingdom? I mean, I can give you the address to where the church meets, but that's not the church, is it? Right, and so the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is within the people of God. Uh, we we when we submit ourselves to the King, right? That, that's what it means to be a part of that kingdom. Okay, and so um, okay, Peter had the keys of the kingdom, right? Keys are so what opens things up. And so, um, who preached the sermon that told people how to be a part of the kingdom? It was Peter, right? Who preached the sermon in Acts chapter ten uh, when the first uh, Gentiles were brought in. Peter. Now that's real interesting because by the time we get to Acts chapter 10, uh, the Lord had already picked out an apostle for the Gentiles. Wouldn't it make sense for that apostle to be the one that preaches that message? But it had to be exactly the same way for the Gentiles as it was with the Jews. And so it was important that Peter was the one to preach that message. He had the keys of the kingdom. Okay. So that checks out. We see that in Acts 2, 14, verse 38. Um, and then in Acts, in Luke 24, 44 through 49, we read that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be, be preached, and it would be preached from Jerusalem. And of course, that's, that fulfillment of that is in Acts 2.38. And so, so anyway, do, do we see how this works? You know, probably review for a lot of you, but you know, what we do is we just, we go through all these scriptures that are pointing to the kingdom. Um, now, I, of course, I go through it because I, I, with the, preconceived notion. I, you know, I have an agenda. I want to prove that the church is the kingdom, but we let scripture speak for itself to do that, right? And so if, if people are, are going to be honest and, and want to uh, pursue the truth, you know, like I said, every, every scripture we looked at, we just looked at those and said, okay, what's the obvious truth that the Bible's given us about the kingdom? And whatever that is, you know, the kingdom is, it has to hit all of those boxes and there's nothing else that's going to match than what we just went over in Acts chapter one, and chapter two. Now, you know, it might, might do some good to actually read through Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two together, uh, but I, d- I just didn't feel like we should do that tonight. <laughs> but anyway, you can do that at home. Uh, but like I said, all of those things need to match, right? The, the fulfillment of the kingdom uh, takes place in Acts chapter two uh, with, the, with the beginning of the church. And, uh, and that makes sense. And so, anyway, uh, we brought that up because so many of the parables are about the kingdom and it's, it's absolutely essential and crucial when going through those parable studies that we have a solid foundation of that because let's just think this through for just a second. Parable of the talents, right? What happens? We've got a, a master who shows up and distributes various amounts of, of, of his possessions to three different servants and then he disappears and leaves, goes on a long journey, okay? And it's expected that those servants are going to invest themselves uh, or invest those resources and, and get a return. Two of them do. One of them doesn't. And eventually the master returns. Okay. And then for the first two, they did a good job. And they are um, in, they're, they're told to come and enter into the joy of their master. What happens to the third servant? He, wicked, lazy, cast out. Okay. Now, what if the kingdom of heaven is only heaven? How are we supposed to make sense of that? We're going to get to heaven. Jesus will show up, dispense some goods to us, and Jesus is going to leave heaven, right? And while we're in heaven, we're going to have to do something with those resources. One day Jesus will come back to give an account for us while we're in heaven. And, you know, there's going to be some people in heaven that will get kicked out of heaven because they didn't do anything with it. And then where do the two, the two uh, faithful servants go once they're already in heaven? Because they're supposed to go into the joy of the master. Is there better heaven? You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense for that parable to be about heaven. Obviously, that parable is a parable about the church. That within the church, there's going to be people, right? Uh, you know, We've all been entrusted with the Father's goods. And it is expected of us to invest our, those goods uh, toward his business. And is it possible that there's going to be people in the church that were lazy and wicked and did nothing and are going to miss out on their reward? Yeah, so that, that again, that's not, that's not a parable about the world because of course they're not interested in the Lord's business. It's a parable about the church being part of the church, right? And so, like I said, when we go through these parables, it's really important that we keep that kingdom perspective. This is not trying to show a contrast between the world and the church. That's obvious. He's trying to show uh, faithfulness in the church, trying to show in the church the things that we're going to be up against, trying to show in the church what it means to, to be faithful to the job that we have before us. You know, within the church, he's trying to paint this picture of what we're going to be up against and what we've got to deal with. And so, again, it's not necessarily a contrast between the church and the world. You know, the, the world plays a part in it. You know, we'll, we'll see that, and when it does, it calls that that out uh, completely. Um, but you know, the, the kingdom, okay if we don 't properly have the kingdom figured out, then then you know we end up with confusion and false teaching okay and so that 's why it 's important that we went through what we went through tonight and so if tonight was boring, I apologize uh, we didn 't get to any any parables, which i 'm excited to get into the parables, <laughs> but like I said, I think that foundation was good and of the studies that I, that we 've done and i 'm planning to do, if this continues, I, I thought this was the best place to to put that um, and so it 's good that we have that and so um, any questions on that? Before we move. I probably shouldn't start any parables today. Yeah. Can we end early? Does anyone feel cheated? Want your money back? <laughs> This will make up for the time later we'll go a little farther. So next week, if you want to read ahead, I, 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 this will be helpful. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read about the parable of the sower. Get real familiar with that text. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about all the different elements of that and trying to be as relevant with that as we possibly can. And, uh, and so get, get familiar with that. Uh, I'll have the I'll have books ready um, next week for those that signed up for them. And... Uh, yeah, I think we're good. I appreciate everything. Let's uh, let's have a word of prayer tonight and uh we'll we'll call it an evening. So <clears throat> Father God, as we uh um, close out tonight's lesson we're grateful and appreciative of the time that we've had to be here thankful for this class going on and the preparations that go into it uh, thankful for everyone that participates in the snacks and the coffee and just making this a comfortable place where we can enjoy fellowship and be built up on your holy word there and um, we're, we're thankful for that and, and uh, appreciate everyone that takes time out of their busy week and their busy schedule to, to make this important and to be a part of this and we just pray that it is uh, beneficial for you and your purposes and uh, that Father we can be um, strengthened through this uh, that we can keep our focus and our priority uh, where you have placed it on spiritual things uh, that Father we can be effective servants we, we wanna, want our efforts to count uh, we want to make a difference in the lives of the people around us and so the better equipped we are the, the more confidence that we'll have in that and so uh, Father we're thankful for your kingdom uh, we're thankful for what it means to be a part of your kingdom uh, and I pray that this upcoming week that we will put your kingdom first in our lives and uh, what a what an honor, what a privilege it is, and what a what a what just how refreshing it is to know that I I'm I don't have to be a part of this miserable world that we live in because I, I'm enrolled into a spiritual and eternal kingdom, and so I'm I'm just here doing a job, passing through, and uh, Father, I just pray that we don't get too attached to this uh, this fleeting fleeting dying world, uh, but Father, that we can uh, uh, stay attached to the spiritual kingdom that we're a part of. Thank you for uh, what you've done for us. Uh, Bring us all back next weekly safely. And uh, thank you for all that you do. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord and Savior. Amen.